1: bills podcast i'm an adult i know what i'm about all right hands that's a heck of a job listen to me listen to me that's two winds in five days snow rain two plane trips man Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's a hell of a job! Hey, hey, and never forget the lessons you learned from this game right here, right? Like this sport, man, never forget. Carry through the rest of your lives, man. Got a couple game balls. I need one, please. Uh, I think that was a pretty darn good pass right there, 17. 14, great catch, baby. Yeah. Where's that little kicker we got? Yeah. Hey, I know, I know what you're doing already. I think we got a Victory Friday coming yeah. up. Baby. Hey, I make that call. Yeah, you got it for you! It. Welcome, everybody,
2: to another edition of the Rock Powell Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was the Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott and Josh Allen after their post game. What was it, the locker room? Locker room speech.
1: Post victory speech. That is such an odd thing for you to request to play after what you did last night to Twitter. <laughs> Johnny Negative over here wants to play the most upbeat thing to intro our podcast. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about
2: all of it. But first, Chris on the table in front of you. Yeah, we have we each have surprises. Oh boy. I gotta You have a surprise for me? Yeah, I do. So folks, in front of Chris right now, because eating on eating on a podcast is so always you know doing visual stuff on the radio is a good idea a good idea. He has a tin of wing dip in front of him.
1: Is this like green chilies in it? I see tick, tick. I need you I to see. I see green green chilies.
2: I want you to explore this wing dip because Chris for the, I'll vamp while you do. For those of you who know or listen or have ever been to one of our tailgates, Chris is a dip aficionado. He doesn't do a lot that I give him credit for, right? This podcast, um, he, I guess he's okay at hockey. I don't know. I refuse to go watch him play because it's on rollerblades, and that's not real hockey to me. Um, but the guy can make a dip. Uh, he's, he's a vicious dip connoisseur. And so this chicken wing dip that's here in front of you is something that the discussion I had with someone about it is that it could rival yours in terms of not only complexity of ingredients and recipe, but also just in preparation method. Now... You've taken a couple bites of said wing dip. It's
1: not hot. You need Okay, so you're... So and I'm not talking temperature. I'm talking the amount of heat that you need in a chicken wing dip. That's okay. not even on my level. Okay, so you, you don't think that this is spicy enough? Okay. No, it's not, not even close to, to as spicy as mine. In terms of the flavor
2: profile, though, just the overall flavor, take spice out of the equation. It's not bad. I, I mean, I don't know who, who made it. Who do you think? If you had to guess, if you think about, you just ask, well, what's in there? So those are poblanos cut up in it. There's three different types of cheese. There's seasoned chicken. There's some, there's various seasonings mixed in. It's been spiced to create a certain flavor, flavor profile and layer flavors into it.
1: That's not bad. It needs more heat. So who made it?
2: If you had to rate it on a scale of one to ten, with one being the wing dip some asshole brings to your tailgate that literally they put like just a brick of cream cheese and then like a bottle of the bottled blue cheese dressing.
1: And then uh, then shredded, -shredded, pre-shredded chicken. No, pre-shredded cheese.
2: Yeah.
1: Or with ten
2: being your wing dip, where do you rate this? If you had to give it a score. I'd put it at a.
1: Six and a half.
2: And if it was just a little spicier, what would
1: you give it? Probably closer to eight and a half, nine. There's no spice to it.
2: That wing dip belongs to Iman Azizi of Q42 Barbecue, who was at my <laughs> house yesterday for Thanksgiving. He brought wing dip to Thanksgiving. It was one of the greatest
1: inclusions for the day. Yeah, Iman needs to have some heat. There's no heat. Tell me, though, you're not going to eat that whole thing. I can eat this. <laughs> I, I see you going back to the well for more chips. It's good. It's uh, There's no heat.
2: Part of it's the fact that he used his Q42 uh, Kansas City rub. That's some uh, of the flavor you're getting. The turbinado sugar in there, the sweet knocks down the heat a little bit. I think what he was going for is, I know that this party's going to be a, lot of, you know, a bunch of people of varying age groups and whatever Yeah, yeah else. your
1: vegan brother's going to be there.
2: <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. But no, so that's your surprise. Iman's wing dip, and I like the fact that you're getting more cultured in terms of, hey, you're not the only guy who can make a dip. I smell a dip off. I'd like to see if Iman can actually challenge you for the crown.
1: I mean, he's a pro cook, so yeah, he probably can. Let's see it. So as we, as we switch surprises, as it falls in line with what Larissa's Original statement was on on Kyle, who will be with us later Wait, so you met a man On the internet To come <laughs> he's over He's coming to our house? He's coming to our house And then I took it one step further with You met a man on the internet from Seattle And he's coming to the house And you've never met him? I have it over here hidden Oh boy Yeah. Oh, you're gonna... You're going to give out our address to some rando who's going to put moonshine in the (laughs) snow? Yes. Yeah, Ryan Rhodes, listener to the podcast. I got two of them here. Oh, my God. That's moonshine. Yeah, this isn't like store-bought. No,
2: this isn't your hacky. We put some cherries in it. No, that's that's the moonshine, Chris. Do you remember the last time you ripped a whole shot glass of that? And Half I, a shot glass. You re, Okay, so guys, the last time Ryan Rhodes gave us moonshine, w- I did a full shot. I got home and I sat down on the couch next to my wife and she just smelled me and she goes, Jesus, how drunk are you? I
1: go, <laughs> I didn't have that many beers. So well, the, your your dad drank a
2: whole glass so, of oh no! So listen, so the guys, so listeners, so the podcast gets started, we upload it, or at least I leave. Chris is left to his own. All he has to do is upload the show and I'm going to upload it to the internet and it never like the audio doesn't make it. So I'm texting Chris going, Chris, when is the show going to get uploaded? He texts me back at 1045 in the morning and goes, dude, I just woke up that half a shot. Just train wrecked me after the Colts win. After the bills beat the Colts in that playoff game, my dad, my uncle showed up in my house. My dad takes that moonshine out. He's already half in the bag. He pours up like half a pint glass of it. I go, Dad, you better watch out with that. He takes a huge pull off it and just goes, wah, straight gas, and proceeds to sip his way through it and then take a three-hour nap <laughs> Oh my gosh, Rhodes, you are you're a monster with this stuff.
1: Yeah. I love I, it. I got to be able to convince Jessica to have some of this. At some point, she said, this is pe- This is what I poured, it's the peach. Ooh. And then the other one is strawberry lime.
2: I saw the pink, I was like, oh my God, yes. I want to get in there. Yeah. All right, well. Here it is. Rhodes, here's to you. Here's to the eight and three Buffalo Bills. Hey, you know what I'm thankful for? Our listeners And the fact that they know that we like to get fucked up and do podcasts.
1: Right, here we go. Down the hatch. It's so smooth It's smooth it's just, You don't It's so smooth Like I could drink a glass of that Oh yeah I could drink
2: a pint glass of this And then wake up in the front yard In my underwear In a lawn chair God In the middle of January This stuff is deadly Roads
3: Yeah
1: Oh I love this guy Hopefully he'll make it to a tailgate At some point <sighs> That is too smooth That's that, that, Chris that's dangerous Yeah God
2: so, we are here recapping Thanksgiving action on our, our what do you want to call it? Black Friday. Black yeah. Friday off of work. Our week 12 recap. The Bills, 28, the Lions, 25. I got your stats of the game for you. Jared Goff, 23 of 37 for 240 yards, two touchdowns, two sacks, a 98.9 passer rating. Josh Allen, 24 of 42. 24 of 42, which is. Flirting dangerously close with 50%. 253 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, three sacks, and an 80.8 passer rating. Josh Allen, fifth consecutive game with a red zone turnover. Lions linebacker Alex Anzalone, who got the red zone interception, three, three run stops, nine tackles, seven solo. He was a beast in the middle. Chris, how many plays did you see that Thor-looking motherfucker just making? How many plays did he save for the Lions? There was a couple. Over and over again. Like, there's a play where it's a pitch and catch to McKenzie, and McKenzie has, like, nothing but field in front of him because they ran vertical routes on the outside, and Anzalone just happened to get a hand on him and drag him to the ground by his shirt. It's like, oh, my God. It's so close. Oh, he was a monster for him. Cornerback Dane Jackson. Team high in coverage snaps with 41 While Elam and White, they were the lowest. They combined for just 20 reps combined on passing downs. The Lions, 3-for-3 on fourth down conversion attempts, which is well beyond the league average for even attempts, much less conversions. Wide receiver Amon St. Brown, 9-of-10 for 122, one touchdown, 68 yards on throws, less than five yards from the line of scrimmage. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, Eight of fifteen, a game-high fifteen targets for seventy-seven yards, one touchdown, a long of thirty-six to set up the game-winning field goal. Chris, your Thanksgiving
1: delicious. (laughs) As I'm eating, we uh, it was like I think it was last week or two weeks ago. I was happened to be watching a video. Of um, Gordon Ramsay On Y'all Tube On him making a turkey And Jess took one of the elements From that To uh, To the turkey Which was She took some bacon And laid it on top Across of the breast of the turkey Like six or seven Slices of bacon Right on Top of the turkey and that bacon was legit. All right. Yeah. And then it was one of the moistest turkeys that I've had in a while. Does not, my dad smoked a turkey once on his like little Weber grill that he had when my parents were divorced. Mm-hmm. This might have been 08, 09, somewhere in there. Like I remember, the turkey that my dad got was like so big the lid didn't close on the grill.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, that's yeah, hilarious. That's like the, that turkey that my dad made best turkey I've I've had until th- now. No, this is the one that we had yesterday was second. All right, I've already had leftovers on a sandwich, turkey sandwich. Well,
2: which, you got to do that night of too. See, that's the thing you got to. What you got to do is you got to have a few glasses. You know, of I bourbon. chose
1: alcohol. As my nightcap yesterday
2: Well, so did I I mean, what what, 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 what do we look like, Chris? A couple of teetotalers over here? Of course we had a couple nightcaps Yeah But I'll be damned if I didn't have my turkey sandwich at
1: (laughs) 1am As I'm watching Sicario for like the 80th time Well, we had, our party was myself, Jessica, her mom, her stepdad, and her son Benton Her stepdad does not eat turkey He's got, like, a weird... His taste buds are, like, messed up. All right. I don't know how you can not like turkey. Like, I just... Or go ask Mark Smith. My bra- Yeah, my brain does not compute that. So we had an 18 and a half pound turkey for four people. So there is a lot of leftovers. So go. I will be having... I had a turkey sandwich today. I'll have one tomorrow at work and Sunday at work. You know what the key is? You refrigerate the, for all
2: you fat kids out there listening, you refrigerate the gravy. And then when you're making your turkey sandwich, you heat up the turkey, but you leave the gravy cold and you spread it on your bread like mayonnaise because it's congealed. And then it hits the heat of the turkey and it kind of liquefies again, but it doesn't run all over the place and make a mess.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's
2: that's how you get real fat.
1: That's only a a fat person would
2: know that. Hey, listen, you don't get to 350 pounds without knowing a trick or two. My Thanksgiving couldn't have been better. We hosted at our brand new house. My brother came over, helped me hang a 70 inch TV above the mantle I built, above the fireplace, had everybody over. Bridget, Iman, their daughter came. My parents came. My brothers came. It was a great day. I decided that I was going to brine a turkey for the first time. Well, this is the first turkey I've ever made. I've never roasted a turkey, and I did it in a roaster pan. Here's what's fucked up about brining a turkey. You're pumping it full of salt, and obviously there's herbs and spices and aromatics and other flavors that are working their way into the meat, but that salt content causes it to cook faster. Then you put it in a roaster pan. A roaster pan is more efficient than your standard oven because it's smaller. It's more compact. That makes sense. <clears throat> I I was the whole time. My dad's like, well, you better start temping that turkey. And I was like, dad, I'll, I'll, I'll start. It's a it should take five and a half hours. I'll start temping it at the four hour mark. At the four hour mark, Chris, the breast was 180 degree. <laughs> it's already Ooh. 180 internal. So but but and this is what I love because I've got Iman is easy. And I've got Dave Gear, veteran of dry-ass Thanksgiving birds, thanks to my mom. Mom, if you're listening to this, you know you suck at turkey. We give you crap about it every year. You dry it out every year. The two of them helped me save that bird by pouring the au jus. Now, what I did was I brined it, then made a barbecue-style rub, a dry rub. out of. I didn't put any salt, but I did smoked paprika, rosemary, onion powder, garlic powder, basically like you were trying to do barbecue. hmm Did the, out, powdered the outside of the turkey, made a butter with it, packed it in under the skin, shoved it full of garlic and lemons. So we put a bunch of lemons on, in a foil tin with that and the au jus and everything else, t- it just tightened it up, sealed it as tight as possible as soon as we carved it. Piping hot. It re-energized that meat. That was the best turkey I've had in 10 years. And I'll tell you what, those lemons, they soak in that those drippings and the... Oh, see, this is a fat podcast. I already want a turkey sandwich. Now, here's one thing I did find awesome about the day, is that I learned everybody wants to fight Chris. At least, at least a third of the people I know want to put their hands on you with violence, Chris. How does that make you feel? I'm fine with it. <laughs> in fact, it started because Bridget, Iman's wife, goes... I'm going to kick Chris's ass when I see him. I caught that joke during the last podcast about gender identity politics. And he goes, she, she goes, I'm going to beat his ass when I see him again. And my dad goes, Hey, get in line lady. And they proceeded to have a conversation about who was more justified in getting to violate you first. How does that make you feel?
1: That's the effect you have on people. I think it would be Dave gear first and foremost. Yeah, I don't think that includes people outside of the podcast People that just don't like me in general And want to physically assault me
2: Yeah, Dave Gere Dave Gere, Dave takes Gere
1: Top of the list
2: Didn't I, I remember I copied and pasted a text he sent me once That was basically just I'm going to hit you in the throat when I see you again Yeah He, he said he goes forward this to your friend <laughs> Oh, But no, the, the, the real coup de grace Right, there's two things here First of all I missed the end of the game because I was outside grilling portabella mushrooms because my brother is a vegan now. My brother and his girlfriend, I love them both dearly. But a vegan on Thanksgiving is one of those things that you just go, what? <laughs> Come on! Are you joking me? But, re- but honestly, it saved my, it saved not only my day, but everybody's day. It saved everybody's day. If you guys only pay attention to our Twitter, I don't know if you could tell, but I was a little bent. It saved everybody's ass that it was just me and Troy standing out by the grill, cooking these damn portobello mushrooms. You know, I'm out there. He and I are making small talk, having a couple beers. We're catching up because I haven't seen him in forever. And then slowly people started filtering out of the house because the game had ended. They're like, oh, Drew, you missed it. I go, no, I didn't. Because cause I'm not trying to have my son. I'm not trying to have my son reiterating more profanity, apropos of nothing. Yeah. Chris, do you have that clip?
1: Which clip? My son. I mean, I can I can pull it up and play it through the microphone off of my phone. Yeah. It's a clip of
2: Yeah, it's me tearing down the fourth wall, guys. Yeah. Well, I'm it, a bad father when it came to foot when it comes to football. Kansas City Chiefs game. My son falls down a well. We obviously joked about it in the podcast. That night, they go home. My wife takes him home, and they're sitting there. He's eating dinner, and he's watching the football game and from his high chair, and he goes, Daddy talks to football. And you want me to play it? I want you to play it for the listeners.
4: Daddy does what, buddy? <laughs> I
0: talk to yeah, football.
2: He talks to football. What does he say? Fuck
0: that.
2: So, realistically, and it's not even the way he says it. It's the furrowed, like, he's didn't he stick the K on that? This kid can't enunciate. There's so many words he doesn't enunciate properly. He stuck the K on that. Not only that, but he furrows his little brow and gets this angry look on his face. I'm not going to be that dad. No, 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 Chris. I'm turning over a new leaf. This Drew Gear is going to be a better human being when he watches football, at least at home, around his children. So I, it was in everybody's best interest that I went outside. I didn't see the Diggs touchdown. I sure as hell didn't see whatever the Lions did to get the lead. And I didn't see the game-winning field goal or any of Josh's heroics or any of it until well after it happened. And it's in everybody's best interest that that's the way the day went. Because we went on to have a wonderful evening. We all ate. We drank. We had fun together. We laughed a ton. It was It was just one of the best Thanksgivings. I'm really happy that the Azizi clan spent their day with us. Like, I love those guys. They are family to me. Like, it's one of those things where friends become family. That's Iman and his group there.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to keep my distance from being in that group. (laughs) You don't want to get sucked in? I don't want to get sucked in to where, like, no, we're friends. I don't want it ever to be a point where you consider me family. (sighs) Ever. But, But so you guys heard it. My
2: son, now mind you, he hasn't said it again since. We had a conversation about it. We said, listen, that's only a term used during football games. You don't ever <laughs> say it at school. And also, it's not a good thing to say. So you shouldn't say that. And he goes, okay, daddy. And he doesn't say it again. But now I have to be a better human being. So you know how you do it, Chris? Is you just...
1: You don't watch the end of Bill's game? You just game.
2: sequester yourself. When you feel the urge to violently curse, maybe throw a piece of furniture, you just extricate yourself, which is what I did. Now, this game, oh, and also, so not only is that gross, but then, Chris, I woke up this morning. Not only did I feel good about the way I left last night, the way the game ended, the way the day went. Long-standing tradition, I want our listeners to tweet us at Rockpile Report. Let us know what you think about this. My yearly tradition, because everyone has Thanksgiving traditions, right? Yeah. What's yours? Turkey? Turkey. Just, hey, I have turkey every Thanksgiving. so yeah. people is like, oh, I go to a certain place or I no. see a certain... Fa- turkey. My tradition, the longest running tradition of, my, I want to say it's a decade and a half, ever since I've been a, just a single bachelor dude to now, I have a thing that I do. I wake up the morning after Thanksgiving... I get up, I go to the fridge, I open the container of stuffing, my mom makes an amazing sausage stuffing with sage and all this stuff, and I take a big scoop of it, spoon, fork, doesn't matter, big cold clump of stuffing, huge, I mean like the size of a baby's fist, and you cover that in ketchup, and then you eat that, and then you use that utensil to stir your coffee. So that every time you take a sip of it, you're getting hits of the the, the stuffing. That is the way you wake up the day after Thanksgiving. It's another fat guy move. My wife caught me doing it this morning and she goes, what the hell was that? So I explained it to her and she goes, I would rather have caught you putting whiskey in your coffee at 8 a.m. than to know that this is what you're doing. Which is worse, being a morning alcoholic or liking a little coffee with some stuffing traces in it? Tweet us at Rock Powell Report. Is this, like, it's not that terrible. I messaged uh, Greg Thompson and Anthony uh, Aaron Quinn from Cover One about it. And Aaron Quinn's response was, I don't get it. You have a job. He goes, you have a good job, a great wife, you have a family, You have because you have everything going for you, and yet you choose to live like a feral animal.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes total
2: sense. Uh, well, what else are you supposed to do after a game like that, Chris? What else are you supposed to do? I mean, that thing was a nail-biter against the Lions team on a three-game win streak that's been playing tougher football this season than we've seen from them in a decade.
1: Uh, I believe I told you when we recorded on Monday... Lines to cover.
2: Well, here's the thing. Is it a safe bet now to start taking all Bills opponents with the points?
1: I would say yes, if it's more than a touchdown.
2: Okay, so if it's more than a touchdown, we're taking whoever it is with the points. Yeah. Because when's the last? Do you know when the last time the Bills covered was?
1: I have no idea. They didn't cover Cleveland because I think that was eight and a half. They didn't cover Cleveland might, I don't know, might have been week one, the Rams. (laughs) Who knows? I don't know. Call in if you do. Call in if you know.
2: As we do with most uh, limited prep podcasts, we're talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I've got you here. I've got some things. I've got some talking points. Uh, Also, we're going to have Dr. Kyle Trimble coming up uh, here in tonight's show. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking, well, not a lot of fun. We're talking about injuries. More injuries, but it's really insightful. So let's all strap in and sit down for what is probably 20 to 30 minutes of great football conversation, Chris. And by great, I mean, let's talk about the good. Let's at least get that. Let's start on a high note, because negative Nancy over here, I've got some points to make. The Bills front seven. How could you be mad about it, Chris? They come into the game missing key components everywhere. Well, we finish that game with three D end. Three D ends on the roster. That's That's all we had. We were already missing defensive ends. We were already missing a starting linebacker. And I wondered how that was going to go considering that the Lions offense, when it's at its best, uses the run to set up short area passing and play action and everything else. And then they lose Von Miller. Jesus Christ, you lose Von Miller to a knee injury and he gets carted off the field in the middle of Thanksgiving. Last year, the Trey White thing, you were at my house when that happened. Yeah. It it sucked. It pulled all the wind right out of that victory for us. It did. What was your immediate reaction when you saw Von Miller getting carted off?
1: I didn't I mean, I didn't know about that he even went out until I saw him on the cart and they said knee and he couldn't walk. He had to get carted to the locker room and he not walk on his own power. I was skittered. I text Kyle and I was like, is this ACL. And he was like, uh, might be.
2: <sighs> One thing I'll tell you is the defensive linemen and the guys in the front seven around him didn't fucking blink. And I love that. The Lions, they, they still had a pretty solid day on the ground. They had a rushing touchdown to their credit, multiple fourth down conversions using their backfield. I'm not trying to take anything away from what the Lions did. Were you impressed by the Lions?
1: They've been good offensively all year. But even defensively, like... I mean, they've sucked all year on defense.
2: And yet we made them look competent.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So who is it a bigger indictment of, us or them? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. You're asking the wrong dude.
2: But what I love is that even with a depleted defensive line, a depleted linebacker core... The front seven was the stabilizing force for the rest of the defense that had a really rough day comparatively. Look at some of these stats, Chris. The Lions had just two runs of 10 or more yards on 28 attempts. One fewer rush attempt than Buffalo, but 68 fewer total yards. Swift, we were talking about it during our preview. He was averaging 6.1 yards per carry entering the game. They held him to less than 20 yards and 3.8 per carry with just a single first down. A single first down, but he forced three missed tackles. So what does that tell you? If he's missing a tackle, but he's still averaging, like if he's forcing missed tackles and still getting that little yardage, it tells you that it's probably a defensive lineman and there's a linebacker right there to clean him up. I like that. And then you go, even after losing Vaughn in the first half, I could absolutely see a world where your defense just falls apart. Right? Yeah. That's your star. That's well, your they star did say, defensive They line. did say
1: on the broadcast that it looked like, I think Tracy Wolfson said it looked like all of the, the gas was taken out of that Bill sideline watching Vaughn get carded off.
2: Yep. And they came out of that locker room in the second half, still posted three tackles for loss and a sack, for a safety. No quitting those guys. Ed Oliver. Talk about, like, at one point in the broadcast, Tony Romo mentioned it. He goes, he's he's playing like an MVP today. He's playing like the MVP of the day. Ed Oliver was a monster in this game. Not just the two plays that got him all the recognition, but just... You go back and you watch some of the run plays that got blown up in the backfield or run plays that why were supposed to go one way and they were the running back was forced to bounce it to the other side because Ed Oliver was... Now, Chris, they started this game. The Lions came in missing two of their starting guards. Yes. So it makes sense that a guy like Ed Oliver should be able to have this type of a day, right? Yeah. I'm happy to see it. It reminded me of that Thanksgiving game back in 2019. If you guys remember Connor Williams, the guy who is currently the starting center for the uh, Miami Dolphins, he was the guard for the Cowboys, and he go, he was playing very good football as a rookie. He goes out with a knee injury, and they bring in Su- Xavier Suofilo. I don't know why. I just I remember the hi- super hyphenated last name Suafilo. And Ed Oliver immediately has that ridiculous, just like, what was it? Was it a strip sack? What was the... Uh, there's I don't a, remember. There's a play in that game where he just blows up Dak Prescott in the backfield. And you're like, oh my God! I know Starlet Tule had an interception in that game, but Ed Oliver had a monster play. And it's because they put that other guard in. The second they put a backup in, he beat that guy like a drum for the rest of the night. He did that to the Lions guards all game. And if they didn't double team him, he was too much for them. Matt Milano, or should I say defensive player of the year? No one will ever vote for Matt Milano was literally everywhere. He was in every single phase of the game. How about AJ Klein, Chris, AJ Klein. We sign him. He's on another football team. We bring him back. Man, I made here. fun <laughs>
1: of him on Monday. I know.
2: <laughs> and yet here he is. And he's making his presence. felt. Yeah, he made
1: a couple plays. I saw it. I noticed
2: it's, like how how do you not love what that group did? It was impressive. They made the game changing plays. They, they, when you think about what the Lions hit, were trying to do on offense, right? Yeah, there was everything was short. Everything was short, and everyone kept saying, "Well, and even myself, I catch myself because I go, they were dinking and dunking and dinking and dunking." Well, that worked for reasons we'll get into, but also, fucking. They were doing it because the defensive line was all over these guys. Even in the second half, when we didn't have Von Miller, the defensive line was all over them, and they knew they didn't have time to sit back in the pocket. So there was no deep passes dialed up. And when you look at Jared Goff's numbers deep, they're not great. (laughs) They're really not good. Yeah, he doesn't have an arm. Another thing I thought was awesome about this game, Chris is going to hate this, Isaiah McKenzie. <laughs> Don't worry, I noticed him too. Ah, Isaiah McKenzie finally made an impact. And when you look at how it happened, it was interesting. Chris, in the notes, yep, I have the chart from Next Gen Stats that shows all of his catches, yeah, his route trees, all of his routes. There's something that sticks out to me when I look at that. It was the first thing that popped into my head, and I kept thinking it when I was watching the game. Take that game he had yesterday, and compare it to the other times he's been impactful for this team. Week 16 against New England, because Chris, let's, let's face it, he hasn't done much. Correct. Week 16 against New England, five of his 11 catches, including four first downs and a touchdown, all of them come down the field on throws of more than 14 air yards. He had some flares, some small stuff near the line, but his biggest plays were open field grabs down the field. Week three, 2022, against the Miami Dolphins, the Sun, the Heat game. Our, our guys are dropping like flies. Just he, we're shuffling guys in and out of the lineup. In that game against Miami, five of his seven receptions all came within six yards of the line of scrimmage. Typical McKenzie usage that we've gotten used to, and it's frustrating because you compare that to the New England game, you compare that to this game, and you go. Fuck, you did nothing, and you were one of the guys who was the most heavily targeted on the entire team because you're the the healthiest wide receiver we have. Diggs is having whole body cramps. Gabe Davis has a bum ankle. You're the guy, and unfortunately, we're only going to use you in this capacity. Meanwhile, you bring him into this game. Four of his six receptions, including his long touchdown, were more than 15 air yards downfield before he caught the ball. Is anybody else seeing a pattern developing here? I I don't know if like again this is one of those things where I go I'm just an asshole with a beer in Google. These coaches have to be aware of this, right? That Isaiah McKenzie can do some things for you, but he's not a good screen game player. So throwing short area passes and hoping that he can turn yards after the catch into something he's he has not done it at any point in his career. This season, his expected yards, like per attempt versus actual yards, it's like 0.1 off, which means where he catches the ball, he doesn't create anything afterwards. The second they stop using him in that, like, screen game capacity, this shallow cross, the Cole Beasley role, I'll call it, the second they start actually targeting him downfield, like a real wide receiver, look at what happens. He puts on a show. It's crazy to me. And he still had his mistakes. He still had moments where Iman and I are yelling just about how he's a great athlete who's not a great football player. True. But you can't. Chris, 96 yards, leads the team. Catches a touchdown. Somebody had to do it. That's in the bucket. And in the bucket, touchdown catch over the shoulder. Do you know how hard that is? We watched We watched DJ Chark fuck up a play like that late in the game. Yeah. DJ Chark's a downfield wide receiver.
1: Yeah, it's very good when he goes against Dane Jackson.
2: But those guys make mistakes. And you know who didn't make as many mistakes today? Isaiah. Isaiah McKenzie. And I will say it's an interesting wrinkle that I noticed. Shakir's snap count is rising. No targets on the day. Now, I pointed out previously all the ways that he's more efficient. Why isn't he getting any looks? Because he's a rookie they got to get over this. They got to find a way to make, because do- Chris, we're running out of receivers. <laughs> like they need to find a way to make everybody on this roster count. And there you go, Chris, I've already started complaining. I just, I don't understand why this kid who's so talented doesn't get more run. So since I'm already starting to complain, we might as well kick it into the next step of the podcast, which is the bad. And I'm going to do that as you saw, Another shot of moonshine.
1: This time you're going with the strawberry lime. I'm
2: gonna try the strawberry lime moonshine.
1: Oh, it's straight gasoline is what it is. So smooth when it hits your lips, though. Yeah, I don't. Like, this is this is witchcraft, is it's, what it is. It's the only way to get your moonshine. You cannot go to the store and buy a store-bought moonshine. It has to be Done from somebody you don't know From the internet <laughs> We're both gonna go
2: blind down here Yeah to Whatever I got wing dip I've got Montucky I've got moonshine I'll call my wife and tell her I'll be home when I can see again Yeah <laughs> There was a lot not to like about this game. One of them is just the whole third quarter, right? Like most teams. Now, I'm not talking about the Bills. I'm talking about all of it. I'm talking about the entirety of the game. That third quarter, it probably played a big role in what went on later in the game for us, for our Twitter account, for everything. Most teams go into the locker room after for after the first half of football, Chris, and they make adjustments and they come out with a revised game plan that's intended to correct some of the team's first half mistakes. True or False. Sounds true. I tweeted out right before half, considering the way our coordinators had crafted first-half game plans, that both seemed to play directly into what the Lions were trying to do. Like, like I don't know, they needed to go put their heads together and come back out with something better. Holy shit! Chris, I would have preferred both teams just left the building. Rather than subject us to what that third quarter was, I want to run you. I want to run this down for you because I feel like people go, "Well, it wasn't that bad." Uh-huh. Let me spell it out for you. Both teams averaged four point three. Like if you combined all their statistics together, they they averaged four point three yards per play. Twenty individual plays that resulted in either zero or negative yardage. A red zone interception. A safety, a missed field goal from under 30 yards, and just two points scored.
1: That is one big pile of shit.
2: The, the, the crown jewel, the crown jewel of how bad and just embarrassing. Like, if you were trying to show somebody who wasn't from the U.S. what American football was about, and you showed them that quarter, the crown jewel is the Jim Nance. It is. <laughs> that was the is to watch. Jim Nance. Well, I don't believe in jinxes, but he hasn't missed it ever.
1: Yeah, he didn't miss a kick all year.
2: Well, it's the fucking money badger. Do you know what a douche? Like I get douche chills when I hear money badger. Who? First of all, that's not a game. And that's not a name anyone gave you. You wanted to be the honey badger, but somebody already had it. Yeah, S- on Matthew. So. You were like what? I'm I'm so money, like I'm such a money kicker that I'm going to be the money badger. It's not only a stupid nickname but it's one that no other human being would have given to him, so you know he made it himself. I, I just I hear it and I cringe. So if anyone was going to embarrass themselves on national TV, like it 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 needs to be the money badger, doesn't it? Yes. At a certain point, I was watching this and I had to remind myself that the Browns game was last week. This was Brownsy. And for anybody wondering about that Twitter tirade towards the end of the game, I can almost promise you that it was a combination of whiskey, my turkey cooking related frustrations, and having to watch that quarter of football.
1: And then it got worse later in the evening. Yes, it did.
2: That whole thing was a comedy of errors. It was a disaster. And I'm certain anybody who didn't have a horse in either race, any fan that didn't have any ties to either one of these franchises, was probably watching that wondering how either of these teams are winning games at an NFL level, much less eight of them. Take that quarter of football, shoot all the tapes in the backyard, and then burn the scrap left behind. Like, that's it. That's what you do. They would. The team would rather watch you mow the lawn shirtless, Chris, then re-watch
1: that quarter. A lot of people would. I, a lot of people? Oh. Yeah, most importantly, Jessica would watch that. That's fair. How? I don't know. I love that we're eating on a podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to start doing more of this, I think.
1: Well, you know, I'm the, sure our listeners love it. Well, uh, you know, your, uh, with, I think it was one of your rants last week. Somebody was like, they need to take professional out of their bio. No, no, no. it's professional in the sense, the way it's produced, the equipment, it's the, we use. It's a, the, equipment the way it sounds. Nothing about the content is <laughs> it means professional.
2: I'm drinking moonshine and talking about football like, and what? eating at the same time, I'm eating a chip covered in uh, a really delicious wing dip. That's not going to give me heartburn, which will allow me to continue drinking. Coordinating decisions. That was the last real ugly one of the day for me. This was not a banner day for our coordinators on either side of the football by any stretch. I mean, Frazier, blitz heavy. Surprisingly blitz heavy for the first time in a long time, and they just kept running it past us. They had seven different plays in this game of five or more yards rushing up the middle or just like off guard. When the Bills called the blitz... The Bills would blitz like it was a passing situation, and they'd just be like, all right, fine, we'll hand it off, and just run past our guys. We kept getting them into third and five, third and six, third and seven, and then we'd blitz. And they would just run it, and they would run it enough to get them into a fourth and one or a fourth and two, and then they would go for it. Because, Chris, when you're a four-win football team, you have nothing to lose. This game is your Super Bowl.
1: There was a lot of Lions fans there. I yeah, was it was in Detroit. You would hope there were Lions fans there. Well, so I saw the
2: tweet before the game that said, uh, it was a tweet on Thursday afternoon, I believe it was, that said, Lions fans, you, you need to get to the stadium early on, so on Thursday. Or no, it wasn't Friday. It was like Tuesday. They were like, Tuesday or Wednesday? But they were like, there's an estimated 66,000 people already estimated to be in attendance for Thursday's game. That's the second most since Ford Field was built. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. This is not the most successful Lions team they've had. No. It's not the most successful Lions team they've had since that building was built. That game is the second most in the building's history that it's ever hosted. The Bills playing a losing four-win football team on Thanksgiving. Now, obviously, something Dan Campbell has done has invigorated that fan base.
1: Yeah, it involves kneecaps.
2: But I also, I was like, the Bills are going to dominate that stadium. But there was a shocking number of Lions fans there. <laughs> this is why. Because they don't care. They're playing cutthroat loose football where they're just like, fuck it. Go for it on fourth down. What do I care? And the coverage options, I know, like, I get it. Whatever Frazier he the options were limited. He didn't have a ton of guys at his disposal. But also, woof, you kept him from throwing the ball deep. Good. That's great. That's also the place where Jared Goff struggles the most. He's he's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns on passes of more than 10 air yards. I mean, what, what? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, Seven. So he's seven and six, throwing a deep. His ratings aren't great. It's it's like if you were going to get them out of a rhythm, that was the way to do it, is try to trick them into throwing a deep. And you saw that rear up late in the game. Instead, we blitzed a ton and let them just have the flats, which they just, that's what kept them in the football game. And then you get to Ken Dorsey. That first possession, bad drop by Diggs. I'll give him that. Remember his mouthpiece broke on the very first play? Yeah. Followed by the most predictable three-yard run I've ever seen. I said it. I go, oh, they're gonna line up and run this thing, and it's gonna be off guard, sort of uh what three yards, and then a pass attempt with Allen rolling out to his right and a punt. A red zone interception. Again, it's a play where Allen is forced to do all of the create all of the creating of the play. Rolling to his right, throwing into what he thinks is an open lane to digs, he gets picked off. But it's, again, it's just, well, Josh, run around. Look, the touchdown, the rushing touchdown Josh scored. It's a botched snap. He hesitates and then just, fuck it, I'm I'm taking it in. That's their best play in the red zone. It's just Josh making shit up on the fly. Yeah. That's probably not a great indictment of our offensive coordinator, is it? No. Luckily for us, the the Lions weren't perfect either. That play call to chuck a deep to Chark on third and one, like that's a that, that, that's a stupid play call. Mm-hmm. Like it's ballsy. And here's the thing: if you go over to their SB Nation website, like I always go to our opponents' pages the day after a game like this, just to see what the vibe is, just to get some talking points from the other side of the fence, see what their perspective is. Apparently, the Lions do this all the time, Chris. They go, oh, third and two, try the bomb, and it never works. That's what kept Buffalo alive. Their failure to protect the quarterback around the goal line and call easy plays to get the ball out fast resulted in a safety that without that safety, Chris, we probably lose the football game.
1: In your mind.
2: Playing terrible soft zone coverage down the stretch. And then the type of zone that Allen admitted Dorsey and he noticed during the week, and that's how they came up with what was ultimately the game-winning throw to Diggs. Like... You guys bottled Diggs up for most of the day. And then down the stretch, you just decided to get... You You played scared. And it let the Bills and Stefan Diggs just work their way back into the game. Like, Luckily for us, they had their own brain farts. And that their mistakes were just a little more glaring than ours. But what happens when you go and you play a coaching staff who's a little bit more equipped? A little bit better, has a little bit stronger acumen? I... as I rip the rest of this half a shot of... Is this a double shot glass? I don't know. It seems like it. So um, as I rip this last shot of moonshine, the ugly, the ugliest part of the entire game. God, slap your mama with that in your mouth. I'm going to have to take a shower when I get home. Damn. Dane Jackson and Christian Benford Is cornerback one and cornerback two Holy shit Chris That was bad Awful Like I didn't drink a ton yesterday But if I was gonna This might have been one of the reasons why
1: I kept telling Jess like I think since the first quarter I was like they're gonna target Dane Jackson In coverage That's the only, only person that Goff's gonna throw at is Dane Jackson
2: He led all of our Cornerbacks and targets He just look at the numbers. Dane Jackson, six of nine, 76 yards, six first downs allowed and a first and a touchdown. Christian Benford, three of three, 52 yards, three first downs. So Benford wasn't targeted often, but when he did, they
1: completed him. But here's what's the most damning. Hold up. Yep. Speaking of you're talking about this, Sal Capaccio tweeted this out six minutes ago. Bill's cornerback Christian Benford is week-to-week with an oblique injury. When it rains,
2: it pours! When it rains, it pours. Luckily, this might actually help us because it's going to force the team to go, look, we, we can't baby. We don't have the luxury. And maybe this is the problem, Chris. They feel like, because like, you think about what you saw. The most damage done to our outside wide receivers was done by Amon St. Brown, Lions' number one wide receiver. All three of the completions Benford had were by by St. Brown. He crucified Dane Jackson. In total, he was 6 of 6 on plays where he was targeted on either of our quote-unquote starting cornerbacks on Thursday. I think that the team has been... like We need better options outside. Dane Jackson and Christian Benford alone are not enough to sustain you against a, a, any football team with a decent starting wide receiver who can play the boundary and a, a better than uh, let's call him average to slightly better than average quarterback. Yeah. This I don't want to say blessing in disguise because obviously having not having Benford as depth is a problem. Xavier Rhodes, though, is a pro. He's acclimating with the system. He's getting to know the scheme. Benford's presence has allowed them to baby Kyrie Elum and Trey White through this process. They've been on a pitch count in this game. Like, Chris, I've never seen it before where a guy said, they say he's ruled out with a foot injury. Oh, his foot is hurt. He can't play. And then they say, yeah, now he's healthy enough to play. But we're only going to give him 13 coverage snaps. 20 snaps in total. We're going to do it all early in the game to where we think the other team's going to be running. Like they did with Trey White. It really does make me like, you guys think you have something in Benford, and that's great. But also, are they leaning too much on that?
1: I mean... Are they you looking got,
2: at this going, you, well, you, you this to, might force them to be a little bit less cautious
1: well, you, you have, to a fault. You have Trey off the ACL. Elam's been dealing with that foot injury. So it, it's like, when, when are you going to let go of the one year recovery time that we're on with Trey White and just let him come back and play? And same thing with Elam with his foot injury.
2: It's like, look, turn him loose if he's healthy. Because I've never seen that before where a guy, like, they, they say, well, he's healthy enough to play, but also we're not going to.
1: Yeah, like, how, like.
2: Most by, football teams, if look, you're healthy enough to play and you're considered a starter, you start.
1: By halftime yesterday, how are you not watching what Dane Jackson does? And how your halftime adjustment is, Trey, I know we had you on a pitch count, but. You got him. Not you, even
2: trait. Yeah, Elum.
1: you got to go there. You got to get ya. in place of Dane Jackson. <laughs> we need to rotate you in with Dane Jackson.
2: You're going to take some more snaps. Why? Because we need somebody. Yeah. We need somebody who can cover a nosebleed. Someone who can stop a nosebleed. And that didn't happen. I wonder if his injury will force their hand a little bit. I hope it does. I mean, I, I just don't understand the logic behind it. Luckily, there's someone who can, but before we bring him in, let's talk about the hero in zero of the week. This week's hero of the game, there was two, I give it to Stefan Diggs and Matt Milano.
1: Here's the deal, I'm the best there is, plain and simple, I mean, I wake up in the morning I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff, Uh, you know, I'm just just a big, hairy American winning machine. It's comical that Matt Milano doesn't get the praise he deserves from the national media. It's absurd.
2: And Oliver almost got a nod here, but realistically, it comes down to this. Elite players make elite plays, and they show up when it matters. And where, not just when, but also where, in the ways that it matters to win you a football game. Our day was essentially saved by the performance of our two best players, or at least two most complete players right now. Like, obviously, Josh Allen is the, like... uh, He's playing through an elbow injury right now because he is our most talented player. True or false? True. Okay. But in terms of being a complete football player, where everything you do, you do just piss excellence. No one can hang with your stuff. It's
1: Matt Milano and no one else.
2: It's Matt Milano and Stefan Diggs. If you're looking at guys on each side of the ball, that's it. And look at Matt Milano. Again, without Edmonds riding shotgun, he has nobody there to help him. He, what is this, tied for the lead in run defense snaps. Three solo run stops, five tackles, one tackle for loss. Played a heavy amount of coverage. Only a lot of 50% completion rate, 35 yards, and had a pass breakup. He gets the fumble recovery. When he did rush the passer, nine times. Three pressures, two quarterback hurries, and a quarterback hit. Like, you go back to last Pretty week. Pretty successful. Last week when he scooped up that fumble and basically, like, saved us on a what should have been a touchdown drive. Yep. Everyone goes, oh, look, he's great. Look at this. He's in every single phase of the game. He's making an impact, and he's doing it well. He's everywhere. And then he leads your defense in, like, snap percentage. He only came off the field a handful of times. That's incredible. That's incredible. He does everything. He does it all well. and so in a game where your defensive line's banged up, you're missing other star players, you still know you've got a guy back there who can limit the damage your opponent can do regardless of their approach. If they try to throw it, he's an asset in coverage. If they try to pass it, okay, he can come on the pass rush or he can play coverage. He can also play the run better than any linebacker on this football team. Like he's it. He's everything. He's the whole he's the whole package. What would this team be without him? Is my question. Well, I don't know. We'd be I'd we'd, never
1: have to find out the answer. Yeah, we'd be in a worse position.
2: Diggs. Look at look at Stephon Diggs. The Lions defense and our own offensive ineptitude early on in this game resulted in him with just 15 first half yards, two first downs, and going into the third, like right up to the point where Allen threw that interception, which was supposed to be intended for Diggs. He had nine targets and just 12 total yards. He almost reached a point where he had as many yards as he had targets. That's stupid. Yeah. But in the clutch, in the fourth quarter with the game in the line, he piled it on for 65 yards that were essentially the difference in the game. Just filthy route near the goal line. Give the Bills a lead with a little, little more than two minutes left. Hero ball catch in traffic, set up the game-winning field goal.
1: Makes that uh, sign sideline conversation he had last week with Mac- McDermott a little better.
2: Well, because he looks at him and goes, I'm the fucking man. <laughs> I'm the man. So they went into this game and they were like, all right, we have to get a healthy dosage of Stefan Diggs. Like, we have to. Because he is the man. He's the guy who makes everything happen. And then to know that he did everything he did yesterday – and did it while posting the lowest average separation of any wide receiver who played Thursday. Right? Any starting wide receiver. Well, one of the lowest at 2.2 yards per target was the closest average separation he got. There was guys on him. He still made catches. That goal line play, that guy is there. Didn't care. Josh ripped it. He caught it. Is Stefan Diggs the only person Josh Allen unequivocally trusts, trusts on this offense? Yes. I just said trusses. Man. That You've
1: moonshine. had too much moonshine.
2: It was yes. only two sh- Well, maybe three shots of moonshine. We don't know. Rhodes, this is the best. <laughs> it's delicious. But seriously, that's what being an elite football player is all about. I'm thankful for a lot of things this year. I'll tell you, Stefan Diggs and Matt Milano
0: are two of them. Just go to indeed.com slash Bluewire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
2: And that brings us to this week's Zero of the Game. And honestly, Chris, the zero this week, it's not a person, it's not a thing. Or at least it's not a a tangible concept. It's more just this thing that sucks the life out of every game I'm watching of the Buffalo Bills this season. And it's the injury bug. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Once again, the Bills have found themselves under siege with more injuries. As the team's trying to get healthy, it's like every time they take two steps forward, they take two steps back. And I don't know much about any of these injuries. It's it's one of the more frustrating parts about this. But luckily, we have resources. And this this content creation community we have is just overflowing with people that we can collaborate with. I love the fact that we can turn to at times like this. Just an incredible resource for Bills fans everywhere.
1: Doc, if that stethoscope is as freezing cold as it was yesterday Dr. Kyle Trimble we're going to
2: shove it right up your ass up Oh Dr. Trimble, how are you on this Black Friday after a Bills victory? Uh, a little tired <laughs> A little tired? chasing kids i'll I do pretty good uh a little tired from yesterday and the kids are driving nuts but that's that's par for the course yeah you ain't kidding luckily there was enough people miles to watch my kids it was actually nice there's so many people who love to see your kids when they're this young that they actually do like oh no i want to hold your kid i want to play with your kid you're like this is the best i could go a whole day without having to really <laughs> you take him for the day <laughs> This is the, this might be the best part of hosting these types of things, I'm finding out. So, Kyle, this morning I texted you and I was like, hey, buddy, you around today? Because uh, I, I don't know what's going on, but this is one of the biggest storylines to come out of this game, and it's probably the thing that chaps my ass the most. More injuries. You know, We were already going into this game without Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, you, know, you see some of the players who were kind of on a pitch count, which we'll talk about briefly, but Von Miller goes out. Obviously, that's the that that's the silver tuna here. Deion Dawkins and an ankle injury. If we're gonna unwrap all this, I just want to start with we'll start we'll ease into this. So first off, the ankle injury for Deion Dawkins. What did you see when you when you go back and you look at that?
4: So Dawkins, we didn't even know he was out until the Buffalo Bills PR account said that he was uh, questionable and uh, dealing with an ankle. So then you have to wait for the film to come out and see what's going on then you start kind of coming through, see when he went down and what happened was that he went down very late in the second quarter of, I'm trying to find the play on my Twitter here, uh, with 12 seconds left in the second quarter uh, one of the defensive players for the Lions tried getting Allen and kind of swung around and caught uh, Dawkins from behind, clipping his right ankle from behind and um, set him down to the turf there by video, it looked like a high ankle sprain, but the severity might have been minimized only because when Dawkins got knocked out, he went flying forward. like his um, He started going down butt first, but his ankle kind of squirted out there. So the mechanism was there, but he might have avoided a far worse fate than we've seen with Ed Oliver, Greg Rousseau, and Jay Kumro. It just all depends on what they say later uh, in the press conference on Friday. So you hope that it's, it's going to be something, but you hope it's not as severe as it can be.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the, the, to, to your point, the fact that his ankle didn't stick in the turf, because usually that's when you see guys go down with that high ankle sprain, it's either because mm-hmm. they get rolled up on and the body weight of the opposing player is actually pinning the limb in place. And then their weight kind of it's almost like shearing force. Their weight falls back against that. If his leg got out of there. Then it could be something as minor as, you know, day to day, maybe week to week, but nothing, you know, you're not looking at the four or five week timetable that they've put on guys like, to your point, Kumaro. Kumaro might have one of the worst high ankle sprains I've seen because we haven't seen him in a month and a half. And now he's on the IR, so it's going to be almost two full months without football for that guy.
4: Well, Kumaro did come back and then he re injured the same ankle. Um, okay. just you know, very recently, they said, Hey, let's put you on IR. Uh, I don't know whether he had the same exact injury or if it was some other, you know, aggravation of what was going on there. Um, I will put on with Dion, though, I did have people tell me in my comments that, uh, he was jumping up and down on the sidelines there. So it's not saying you okay. couldn't be jumping up and down on, on a high ankle sprain. I'm sure it'd be painful. You get the adrenaline going, though, but that might suggest that this might not be as bad. And of course, by video, that's what it looks like. Doesn't mean that that's the case. We're gonna get into why by video doesn't
2: mean yeah. an accurate, yeah. you know, designation. There. So then there there was the other curiosity that I I have the pitch count. You know, earlier in the show we, did, Chris, I don't even think decried. it's the right word. You just dive into what a fucking mess it was to watch Dane Jackson and Christian Benford act as your starting cornerbacks. It did not go well. We'll leave it at that. And so you look at, though, and I see, you know, everyone kept saying, "As I'm in the room, well, I saw Trey White. I saw him out there. Ooh, I don't understand. And then so you, you sift back through, you go to PFF, and you look at the snap counts, and you realize that Trey White only had, I believe it was two series. I think it was seven total reps. Um, Kyer Elam had slightly more. He had 13, so it was 20 combined between the two of them. And the, neither of them had any targets. they were on the field they weren't thrown at i think it was in the early in the game at a point where maybe even the bills coaching staff was like hey we know that the lions are going to want to run early to set up the pass late so this is a safe way for us to roll out these two guys with the types of injuries they have i mean we've made a lot about trey white and just how they're nursing him back but also elam was interesting coming back from his foot injury and kind of what you've actually done some work over at banged up bills, covering that foot injury in detail, but what do you make of the pitch count approach to these types of injuries? I mean, is that typical for most teams or is it one of those things where when guys come back from these things, either they're good and they're ready to go or they, they don't play.
4: I've seen the bills do more of a pitch count approach for different injuries. Um, it just it makes sense for the Trey White right, thing because that's his first snaps in a year. Um, we knew that he wasn't going to go full bore into it, even with that you know longer timeline time we saw with him returning. We knew that he wasn't going to be 100% out there and playing it all pro level. League. That was a given. So yeah. it was really interesting that they had it at a hard, I think they said 15 snaps, pro football reference at 16. That puts him at about 23%. But I'm sure that they didn't say, we're going to play him in 23% of snaps or mm-hmm. 25 or whatever. Like there wasn't, I'm sure they had numbers that said, we're not going to go over that. And um, you know, kind of like what you see in baseball, you know, they have a certain pitch limit. I don't care whether you're in a perfect game or not. You're not going over 85 pitches. Mm-hmm. Have you. So they probably said that they probably want to get his feet wet. See how it was there. Um, I don't know how they came up to that number, but I'm sure it was workload management. Like they mm-hmm. have, a lot of that stuff in in house on how they get guys ramped up. Like they have a formula. And I think we've talked about this um, in the summer um, uh, episode that I was on, where they, they have an idea of how much workload they want to expose a guy to and how to ramp them up appropriately instead of saying, eh, let's just see how you do for a series of two and see if you can handle that. So um, the Trey White was more uh, cut and dry. The Elam thing, um, I didn't even realize he was on pitch count but you mentioned that just because Mm -hmm. I was so focused on the game and then the back and forth with that. He is coming off of what looked to be a low ankle sprain, uh, possible bone bruise in week nine. What's interesting is he told Elena Getzberg of ESPN that he had originally suffered his um, injury back in week five against the Steelers. I went back and found that clip and saw what was going on there wasn't anything on video to suggest that he suffered an injury at that time. Like they announced what play it was and everything. Mm-hmm. So it was real interesting that he said, Hey, I injured my foot back in week five. It was designated as such. And then he suffers a re-injury in week nine and they designate as an ankle there. So there's something going on with that foot ankle complex, but it's just certain that he's practicing full all week. And then he's still on pitch count with that. So um, I don't know whether they did that just to say, hey, let's get you in there. If we need to, we have two good, healthy guys in Jackson and Benford, but um, we've seen the team
2: do some weird things, but yeah, if that's just their way to Chris could have played cornerback as well as they did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Chris it, could have covered. I'm on right. Chris could have done the same job covering. I'm on the Ross St. Brown that, uh, that Dane Jackson did. Let's go. Absolutely. Let's be honest.
4: And, you know, if they have a reason behind this stuff, they've had good reasons for everything they have done. So even when the, the public questions that they've had good reasons and I've learned not to question them in that. So if they want to pitch count Elam and uh, White to do it that way, then it, it worked. We got the win.
2: So it's one of these things where these you've got these guys. They're slowly being worked in. It'll be interesting to see if they because I'm sure the coaching staff is going to go back and watch that tape and have the same reaction we had watching it live. Where you just it's Dane Jackson's instincts. He's just not physically he's in the places to make plays. It's just that his head's never around. There was a play halfway through the game where the quarterback took off and ran, and he didn't know what to do. He froze in the open field. (laughs) He's like, do I cover the pitch, man? Do I cover the quarterback? And instead, he didn't either and just froze while Goff ran past him. And it was one of the more—I think that this was an embarrassing game for him. It'll be interesting to see how they ramp those two other cornerbacks back up, because realistically, those are the guys you expect to see starting for this football team— if they're at their healthiest and their most competitive. So then there's the big the the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and we start talking about the Von Miller stuff with this clip that Chris harvested from somewhere on the interwebs. Chris? Yeah, it's from NFL Now, Ian
1: Rappaport.
3: Von Miller has completed his MRI, and sources tell me he has a tear to his lateral meniscus in his knee, which is the good news, though. He did not tear his ACL. That is significant. Had he done that, it was an easy decision. And unfortunate, but an easy decision. He would have surgery. He would be out for the season. This is far, far more complicated. Where Von Miller stands right now is he's going to wait about 7 to 10 days to get that knee reexamined and ascertain whether or not it's something he could play with. If it's taking to rehab well, if it's okay enough for him to play on it, then he will put a brace on and at some point, probably late in the regular season, he'll be able to play and go forward. If he cannot, then he will have surgery and he will be done for the season. But there is no determination now on when Von Miller will be able to play, it is a waiting game for the Buffalo Bills. But at least somewhat good news because if they had known right away today, it would have been only bad.
2: So, with that in mind, you know, that that was just what Chris an hour ago,
1: as of this recording. Yeah, that's when he put it up on his Twitter.
2: Okay, so Kyle, you're listening to that. You're hearing this. You're thinking about the. Obviously, you've been reviewing this in your own time. <laughs> since the game ended because there's been people tweeting at you about it and there's you obviously have your own brand that you're working on over there first of all it sticks out to me as funny that this this is the Detroit Lions field that the NFLPA specifically put in its memo that they wrote to the, the what, what is it the the lawsuit that they're I guess for whatever it is they're doing in terms of the field conditions, the fact that they're suing and they're saying like, we believe like in terms of dangerous fields, the one that they used as their example is look at this cheap ass field in Detroit. So many players collect knee and ankle and you know, soft tissue, lower body injuries on this field. And it's because it's subpar. So when you watch this play, the first thing that I noticed just as the layman is that you do see his leg kind of stick. It's almost like he kind of gets stuck in the ground as he's getting hit. What did you see on the play itself in terms of the mechanism of injury? So when it originally happened,
4: happened, you didn't see a thing because it can't happen off screen. And then they showed a a broadcast view from that Madden angle, the L-22. And then you're like, oh, that's not good. And then you start watching it again and again. And then it start, you know, my phone start blowing up. Uh, Chris, <laughs> at one point, you texted me. So, like, you start kind of going through the possibilities of that stuff there. And I um, had tried, as you were talking, I tried playing the clip through again. I'm watching. His foot does get stuck on the turf, which, you know, the the slit film turf that has its detractors. Um, could the turf have caused this? Yes, but it could also happen in other sure. uh, turfs and grass and things too. It didn't help that the offensive lineman fell on his ankle and um, he kind of got tripped up and everything at that point. So, like, yeah, the turf could have led to all this stuff, but he was also getting stepped on toward the very end, too. So, um, it, you want to blame the turf, but it's like, okay, this that's a variable you can't control right now. That's just how it is. You have to kind of work within that. There.
2: So in t- um, so then in ter- so so what I was going to say. So then in terms of the injury and just like what he's talking about. Even Rappaport in there mentions the it just it seems like a wide open avenue of possibilities. When you think about what you know about a lateral meniscus tear and the people you helped rehab through them and what you've seen, what you know professionally about it is it really a like what are our percentages here like how many what are, what are the percentage odds in your opinion you know obviously you're not we're all just gambling here it's speculation but yours is a little more nuanced than just me and chris going ah, i think you'll be all right don't know. rub some dirt on it
4: it depends on how they want to operate with this stuff and that not, not operate in that you know have any surgery it's just how do they want to move forward with this There's, so many different possibilities and I have not placed a timeline on this yet because they, they said that he's going to be out probably seven, 10 days. So, okay, fine. That puts us out for the Patriots game and, and that. So they are going to want to see how swelling uh, is managed. They're going to want to see where the tear is at, which they have a pretty idea with the MRI. They need to know what type of tear it is there. That's going to play an impact with that. The location of the tear within the lateral meniscus, and then even how his knee starts um, responding to the rehab there. So, they could say, "Hey, this thing's getting real angry. It's not responding. Let's get in there, trim out whatever's going on." They could say, "Hey, this is a pretty minor tear. You can rehab it, play through that." Um, we've seen a number of different ways they've have handled this uh, this injury in the past. There, uh, three injuries that come to mind for the Bills: they had uh, Charles Clay. He suffered uh, MCL and uh, meniscus tear in midseason back in 2017. He had surgery. Of course, his knees were shot by that point, so he said, hell with it. And then you had Kelvin Benjamin, who suffered a meniscus tear, played through it and really struggled, but he managed to help them get to the playoffs in 2017. And then you had Cody Ford, who suffered a uh, meniscus tear in practice, had to get surgery. So you look at the type of player and location, there's so many different variables to go into this. Um, what happens with this? I, I want to see what they do over the next week here, but – <sighs> It's it's too soon to tell, but if you had talked with us two hours before, we're talking about ten other possibilities compared to just a lateral
2: meniscus. Mm-hmm. So the knowing that it's not an ACL, I mean, if but but if he had a meniscus, like let's say they decide to have surgery, you still think that ends his season? Like there's not a because I mean I've I've seen people who go and get scoped and they're playing basketball, you know, in their driveway probably a few weeks later but also those people aren't violent. <laughs> They're not in the NFL trying to play basketball, you know, trying to play real NFL football.
4: I, I mean, if he has surgery, they're going to trim it out. I mean, he could elect to repair it if it's that severe, but I'm thinking you're on an eight and three football team. You have this massive contract. You're on the doorsteps of the playoffs. I'd be doing everything I can to be out there. We're seeing that with Jordan Poy right now with his elbow injury. I'm sure there's other guys that are playing through something significant, so it's like I I know Vaughn has to look at it for his career and his health and things like that, so that's why you have to consider that he might get repaired, but it almost just seems like a foregone conclusion. Like, hey, I want to be out there for my guys. I'm going to do what I can to stay out there instead of hanging it up because my knee's busted up. Like, hey, you have a $120 million
2: contract. Go buy a new knee when you need it. Get that Super Bowl win now. So. Well, and that's it. It's 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 gonna a lot of it's gonna come down to him. But Chris, doesn't Vaughn? Hasn't he struck you as the guy who he seems bought in for somebody who was brought in here as a high dollar free? Because we've seen this go wrong. We've seen the high dollar, big money defensive end signing. Mark Anderson. Oh my God! <laughs> you invoke the name of Mark Anderson on my podcast. <laughs> if you weren't the producer, I'd throw you out of the studio. Yeah, well, it's it's my house. Mark Anderson. Yeah. Man, did that guy, did that guy fleece <laughs> one us?
1: One season, one and then, season? and then we $10 million, cut him
2: dollars, I believe. And then we cut it. Yeah. Well, him and Mark him and Mario Williams are supposed to be like the most dominant defensive ends in football. Turns out, uh, that guy sucked at football. It was just Bill Belichick making him look like a genius. But so we've seen things go sideways when the million-dollar player doesn't have the right attitude or isn't bought in. When it's more about me than it is about team. But Von Miller it seems like he's everything he's done, everything he's said, the way he's carried himself, the way he's just the way his teammates talk about him, it seems like he's in. So it'll be interesting to see whether he chooses to, like like Allen's playing through injury. Poyer is playing through injury. I wonder if being surrounded by those guys, watching them, the respect he has. for I mean, that's the reason he's here. The respect he has for Josh, for Jordan, for some of these guys who are struggling, but they're they're still showing up every day. If that doesn't also help influence his decision a little bit.
4: I, I would think so. It would have to. I mean, I just, Von Miller doesn't seem like a me guy where he's going to be worried about, hey, I got to get my surgery. I got to be right. Like, um, I, but the first thing I thought was J.J. Watt, like, you know, a me guy. That, that's when it's talked about Then, But even he came back early from his pectoral tear terror to, to terrorize us in the playoffs. But um, there's just been plenty of guys who say, ah, I'm hurt. I'm going to sit this one out like Vaughn doesn't seem like that. And, you know, he has the weight of that contract on there, which I'm sure he's going to perform regardless of whether he's getting paid a $1 dollar or $120 well, and that's million what
2: Sometimes it's not even just the money. Sometimes it's just these guys are football players. It's what they do. They play football.
4: That's that's how I feel Vaughn is. So, like, yeah. and I keep watching this play again. It's amazing. I mean, it's fortunate that he didn't tear his ACL because that would have just been that final nail in the coffin for them. But um, his injury also reminded me of Kyle Williams back in 2018. He had a very similar injury. Somebody kind of crashed into him. And he had more just an MCL sprain in the preseason. he will play his final season, and whatnot. But it's just fortunate that the knee bent as much as it did instead of him getting hit from the outside. Because I mean, mm-hmm. we see Twitter meltdown. I mean, it's been <sighs> hell this month with the Josh Allen stuff, and then the poor <laughs> stuff, and then the Miller. It's been it's been exhausting for me, man. I
2: was going to say they're deaf. The- well, this is the thing. In fact, Chris, it's one of those things where these injuries—they're the zero of the week. It's the worst part of this football game it's the worst thing to happen to our football team all season. And yet for you, business is booming. <laughs> business is booming over at banged up Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find your content, where they can follow your updates on social media and all of the other stuff you have going on. Cause I know you're, you get your fingers in a lot of pots
4: that I do. I do. So you can find my work at banged find me If I'm on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram at banged up bills. You find my weekly, uh, Podcast appearances on Locked On Bills on Fridays, um, depending on, of course, when the game is, though. Too um, Buffalo Late Night on Mondays, Gridiron Heroics uh, during the week. Uh, I find my work over Cover One. Um, I'm pretty much everywhere, and I keep on getting asked for more and more opportunities and um, uh, appearances, and whatnot.
1: Doctor Kyle Trimble on Twitter at Banged Up Bills. Top of the game when it comes to covering the injuries that this team goes through. Now I gotta point it out so that our Twitter followers don't have to I do love your options at Hero of the Game that we did earlier Milano and Diggs a linebacker and a wide receiver interchangeable positions great job
2: Listen, but they're not interchangeable on this football team, because if you take either one of them off the field, do we win that game?
1: Part of me, because nobody can see this but me, I don't think you made the connection that was a reference to Steve Tasker.
2: Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) damn it. You know, I mean, you could put Diggs back there, right? He can make (laughs) those plays inside the box. Fuck, this is never going to die.
1: It's not.
2: Final thoughts as we wrap this up. A win is a a win.
1: A win is a win is a win, which you refuse to acknowledge. (sighs) Hey, we won the game, but I didn't like how we did it. Doesn't matter. We won the game. That's what I like. I don't like a lot of things. A win is a win. Okay, so I don't like a lot of things.
2: I don't like the fact that like so. I got into a protracted back and forth last night with cover one's Greg Thompson.
1: On Twitter, publicly, and
2: in DMs. Oh, and in DMs. He and I go at it. I don't, I'm don't. i not backing down from him. He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy with a great head of hair and a wildly receding hairline. Guess what? I'm not scared of you. We can have a... It, it, it's like he and I... He says it all the time. He goes, you're one of those people who you have... You're smart enough at football that I get angry at you when you say things that I think are stupid. And that's why we fight. So... I, Here's what now. Now I'm going to tease this because we're going to announce what the bet is as part of our preview show. All right I, for the New England Patriots, but
1: Greg and I, I will say, have th- created another steak bet. I will say that I think you set Greg off because Greg had such a big dinner, so he had all of this fuel in him from dinner. <laughs> that he, he that took it over the top for him to argue at 9:30 at night with you and to make a stake bet which will Chris announce next week. Can you week. imagine this?
2: A guy who makes triple my annual income.
1: Yeah, he makes a lot of money.
2: Who also has his family in his house. It's
1: odd that he has a pair of
2: children, a wife who loves him. He's got the and at 9:30 at night the only thing he's doing is arguing with Drew Gear and DMs on Twitter.
1: It's odd that he makes as much money as he does and chooses to drive a Kia.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like you could upgrade that. My final thoughts are this: so obviously, I sat everybody off last night. Here's what I'll say: we, I, I tweeted about Josh and Dorsey and apologize for ever comparing them to Jim Kelly and Tom Bresnahan back in 1992. I think about it like this. From the Lions fans' standpoint, they feel good about this game. They love this thing because they think that it makes them relevant and it shows that they can hang with the NFL's best even when they do make hilarious errors. I guess the question is, do we feel that way, Chris? Do we as fans feel like I don't know. Like part of watching it with older people is, you know, you start having the conversations and you go watching this game felt more like watching the 95 bills than it did watching the 92 bills. And I go back to when I talked about in this off season how Tom Bresnahan took over the offense as a first time play caller and the bills were still one of the top offenses in the NFL. They just had to find different ways to do it. But they still won games. They still went to a Super Bowl. And I was apologizing to Jim and Tom for ever comparing Josh and Ken Dorsey to them. That's insulting to their legacy. People took that a little personally. People got a little hot under the collar. I guess the question is this, Chris. Do you genuinely believe that what you're seeing play out in front of you? is the machinations of a team that should go to a Super Bowl.
1: Are we talking about as a whole, meaning week one until now, or week, what are we, tw- what is this, 12? Week, week 12, Week, week right now. 10 to 12. Who you are right now,
2: is this the look of a team that can get to a Super Bowl? Yeah. Like, does this look like the team that loses in the divisional round to the Steelers? Or is this the team that
1: makes it to a, like, on the doorstep of a Lombardi, I still believe at this point in the season we have what it takes to get to the Super Bowl. See, and so everyone, and this is where Greg and I start arguing,
2: is because everybody keeps pointing to well, we have eight wins, we're an eight win team. Last year we were seven and six, uh, now we're eight and three. Uh, it's all gonna be fine. It's all gonna be fine. And I go, guys, just just because, Chris, what did I tell you? Just the other week, I, I explained Louis C.K. the quote about optimism. Yeah. Optimism is stupid because why would any, why would the, look at more injuries, more injuries at a time when you go, all we got to do is get healthy and we'll be fine, but you won't be healthy. It's not in the cards this year. So you got to find another way. Instead of being healthy, your coordinators have to be on their A game every fucking week every week that goes by, I watch these coordinators look like people who don't deserve their jobs sometimes. And what I see is we lose more star players. They struggle more. And I get it. Obviously you need talent in order to win NFL football games, but also this coaching staff has been lauded for too long about how great they are. Their acumen, their feel for play calling. Well then why do you need a whole bevy of all stars when in reality if you're a great coach, you should at least be able to I, I'm watching what the coordinator for the Lions is doing. Is he a great coordinator, Chris? That whole
1: staff could be fired in 2 years. The Lions have had a great offense all season. Their defense is what the issue is. I think they And they s- schemed up a game that gave the Bills trouble.
2: Yep. So, I get some of our own injury stuff, some of our own things. Also, some of our coaching decisions, some of our play callings, some of just overarching choices that we're making make the Lions defense look competitive. That's a problem. It's a problem. And so I point to this because everyone's going, well, look at all the people the Bills are missing and they're still 8-3. and three. Yes. But also, you know who else was 8-3 and three last year? The Ravens. At the exact same point where we are in this season, they were eight and three, and then they rattled off six straight losses because injuries just became too much. They kept losing players. They didn't get healthy. Everyone kept waiting for it. It's like that. Oh, there's a stand-up. Uh, this is not happening. Do you know the show? Yep, R- Art right. Shafir's Comedy Central thing. There's a guy where he gets he gets called up to do a seminar. Well, he gets up he gets a gig that he thinks is comedy. And then it's like, oh, you're going to give an hour long dissertation on note taking to a bunch of business school students at like a very prestigious university. And he's like, I know what you're thinking. How'd you get out of it? And He's like, I didn't get out of it. <laughs> and it was not OK. <laughs> and it, it did not go well. That's what happens to you sometimes. Sometimes shit just does not, it doesn't turn around. It just continues to get worse. You continue to get more of the same and eventually you die a slow death. Why, Chris, no left, potentially missing a left tackle, a depth cornerback, your star defensive end, missing one of your star safety tandem, missing linebackers, missing place. missing your other bookend defensive end. You're now going to be moving forward with, for at least next week without both of your starting defensive ends. Like, this is the world we're living in and people go, "Whoa, well, we're here, we're eight-win football team, it'll be fine. There is historical evidence to show you that sometimes when you get too many injuries, it will not be fine. You actually just can't. There just isn't a way to overcome that. So, I'm just trying to provide a counterpoint. Greg took exception to it, started an argument, now we have a stake bet. We're going to reveal the contents of that stake bet at the preview of our New England show but I guess ultimately, Chris, I look at this and I hear the intro to the show tonight. Me, Grizzly, just negative Nancy, Debbie Downer, just I'm, I. I hear that win and I'm more relieved that they didn't blow it than I am like, oh my god, I'm so pumped we won that game. Now Greg calls that entitlement. What I call that is watching the talent you have, knowing what your coaches are being paid, knowing what your players are being paid in certain spots. You should be able to win a goddamn football game. And if you can't, then that means you guys aren't doing a good job. Your coaches sometimes need to win you a game. How many has Bill Belichick stolen this year? Their roster's not overflowing with high-end talent.
1: No, and they're not coached by high-end talent. At the coordinator position.
2: No. But Bill Belichick is there and he's stolen games all season long. It's why they're still in the wild card mix. So I look at that and I say, What are you doing, McDermott and Company? Why? What are you bringing to this? And then I see that post game speech. Chris, did any of them seem concerned? No. Did there did, did Sean McDermott? Like he almost it's almost seemed like he got a little choked up there for a second. He always does. I. They're not worried at all. They're loose. This is a team that just lost their star pass rusher. Did, did it look like any of them are concerned? Does Josh Allen seem like he? Oh man, you know this sucks. But he goes, hey, you know we won, guys. But also, we you know Von Miller's not going to be here for a while. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know. We should just kind of take that. No! He just won a fucking NFL football game and look at the look on his face. They're taking a day off today. Because this is what they expect. They expect this to be a rock fight. They expect this to be hard. Especially now. Especially after all the adversity they faced over the last month. It's not going to get easier. Dawkins, Rousseau, the whatever's happening in our defensive back group... I don't know, Chris, it's all it's all wonky, it's all weird, and yet they stay very steady, don't they?
1: Yeah. Is this
2: trusting the process? It is. <sighs> We're going to have to do it. We're going to have to. We don't have a choice. Yeah. Just strap in, bitches. Here we go. Guys. Monday. Monday. We are going to be recording our AFC's roundup and our, a- our New England pre- in Foxborough on Thursday Night Football.
1: Yep. We'll have, uh, I'm hosting a watch party here. I can't wait to give Mark Smith some of this moonshine.
2: Dude, don't do that to Jillian. She can have some too. Yeah, but dude, you don't happen to. Look at how loose he gets off Natty Bo. Natty <laughs> Bo and uh, Bush Light. You get yeah. moonshine? Yeah. Dog, he's sleeping on your couch, not mine. You can sleep outside. I just look at this football team and I say to myself, This is gonna be it's gonna be a wild finish, regardless of how it ends. I I can't wait to see it, this divisional slate. Like this is it. We're kicking it off. We're on the doorstep of what's gonna decide the rest of our season. I can't wait. We're gonna have Mark Schofield on the preview. We're going to be talking about the steak bet with me and Greg Thompson, which I think is a good one. I can't wait for you to hear the terms. It's going to be great. But for tonight, I got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This has been your Rockpile Report.